A friend of mine this past week uh, lost his mother. Another friend is struggling to recover from surgery. Another person is uh, dealing with the fact that they don't know how they will pay their bills this month. Another person lost their job. A student is worried about going back to school in a short period of time because they'll be facing a bully. Another child stresses over the fact that their parents put a lot of pressure on them to get straight A's and the summer's almost over. Another person is waiting for biopsy results of a tumor to find out if it's cancerous or not. And another person has health issues and there's no answer in sight. What do I say to them? Rejoice in the Lord? What do, I, what do I do? What words do I use to comfort them? That is the question upon us this morning as we look at a text in which the Apostle Paul says, Rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. But if we all went around the room right now, you could each lay out for us the troubles that you've either seen in the past or in the present or maybe looming in the future for your life. As we look at Philippians 4, 1 through 9, the scriptural truth this morning is this. In the midst of trials and anxieties, we can experience true joy and peace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read to you uh, verses 1 through 9 this morning of Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The Word of God. Amen. We're so grateful this morning that the Lord has given us His words which we have in print, that we can read, and we're even uh, greater thanksgiving that we have the Holy Spirit who helps us have understanding. So again, Father, give us, uh, uh, your, uh, give us understanding from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this text, I want us to just briefly look at verse 1. I purposely did not put it with part of last week's text um, because it connects the two. He says, therefore, and anytime you see in Scripture it's saying, therefore, you need to look back to the, the verses, uh, the chapters, the paragraphs previously. 
And we had spent time in the last few chapters, and what Paul does uh, here, as with many of his letters, is the first half of his letters, he lays out doctrinal truth. He lays out the truths that believers should cling to, the truths of the gospel that save us uh, from death, and he transitions and moves into practical applications. And so he says, therefore, as we saw in the past weeks, uh, straining towards the goal of living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And we saw that we need to not only follow Jesus' example, but follow other believers who are following uh, Jesus Christ. And he says, therefore, and you hear his deep affection and love for the church in Philippi. He says, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, uh, my beloved. Now, to understand where he goes next and taking from what in the past and seeing where he says, stand firm, which he's already encouraged them to do, there's a following list of applications, and what we need to um, understand is have a right understanding of the gospel. So in the Bible, we have the law and we have the gospel. We have commands or imperatives, and we have promises, statements of truth, uh, indicatives. So you have the law and the gospel. And if you don't understand the law and the gospel, then when you hear all the practical applications that he says, do this church, do this, do these things, then you're going to approach it in a different manner uh, apart from uh, how we should understand it through the eyes and the lens of of the gospel. The law always tells us do or don't do the following things. And so we can mix into that what we read Paul telling the church, oh, do this, don't do this. So if we don't do this or we do this, then we break the law and we sin. But for all who are in Christ, you have been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, the gospel of Jesus Christ is simply this, according to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, which Paul says. He writes to the believers and he says, you uh, stand in this truth. You're saved by the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place for your sins. And he says he was buried on the third day he rose again. And both times it says according to scripture. So any in this room who have professed your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, that he died for your sins and that he rose again on the third day, scriptures tell us that God does a saving work and makes you his. He adopts you as his own. And you have the great promise as we were just singing in which he says, uh, Jesus has ascended to heaven and he says, I am coming back. I am returning to bring you to be with me. And so believers, we cling to that. The problem that we have when we get to these sections when it says, do this, Christian, don't do this, is we want to still go, well, we have the law and we have the gospel, and if I don't do this, then God's not pleased with me because I sinned. Yet the gospel tells us that our sins are forgiven. We are still battling with sin, as 1 John tells us, But salvation in Christ means, uh, as he tells us in Ephesians, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 1, the work that he began in you, he will what? He will complete it. He will finish it. So he will see you home to your eternal place in heaven that he's promised for you. And we rejoice in those truths. The temptation, though, 
is, as we come to things like uh, rejoice in the Lord and don't be anxious and all these things, is to go, okay, I'm not doing that, so somehow I'm breaking the law, God's not pleased with me, and that is so far from the truth. We need to always be reminded of the law that was given so that we would see our sins and our need for a Savior, but we must always be grounded and reminded daily in the gospel truths that we're saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, and that He is returning one day for His people. Now, I know I've repeated myself three times here, but purposely because we forget easily, right? We forget things all the time, and therefore you need to be reminded of the gospel truths not only every Sunday, not only every day, but hour by hour, minute by minute, because how many of you would say we live in a troubled world? How many of you would say, I have trouble in my life? How many of you would say, there's trouble and death and problems all around me? So it makes it very easy for us to get our eyes off of Christ to forget the gospel and be looking at and thinking of and setting our minds on things of the world that so distract us. So we need to have this right understanding. So now let's look at verses 2 through 3 in this first point in which he calls the believers to agree in the Lord. He calls the believers to agree in the Lord. Um, do Christians ever have disagreements with one another? Yes? Any big disagreements, maybe, or just little ones? They're not really anything, right? No, some of us would say, no, there's some really big disagreements that can happen between brothers and sisters in Christ. And what it can do, and what it leads to many times, is it leads to actual division among the body of Christ. Uh, when I was living in Los Angeles and doing ministry there, um, there was a church that I was at, and there was a number of family members that were all related, a large group, and they showed up one Sunday, and they came the next Sunday, and I began to meet them and find out. And the reason why they had left their previous church, which was also family members there who were leading, was because there was a division and an argument between a couple of believers in the church. It began to build and build and build to the point that one Sunday morning, the previous one before they came, there was an actual fistfight brawl in the church service between the pastor and another person and other people got involved. The point where you have someone raising a chair to crack someone over the head, this is what was going on in a church that was regularly preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, no way. That sounds like something, some type of like TV show or something. They're like, no, what happened last week? And you go, wow. Well, that's just an obscure one. That doesn't happen. Well, you can look at all kinds of churches that have split and disagreed seriously over the color of carpet that was being replaced to put in. I know that people think, well, that's ridiculous, but people get into that. I mean, to think at churches that I've served at where there's uh, something that becomes a sacred cow, like I can think of one church that there was an organ off to the side of the stage, and it hadn't worked in like 20-something years, but you could not remove it, and it was so expensive to fix. It was like, no, but that's the church organ that we had here since the 30s. There was arguments over things like that. You couldn't take down this picture over here. You couldn't do that. And these disagreements where people would literally fight with one another. And you go, those are ridiculous. That never happened here at Discovery. But I'll tell you, even in the five years I've been here, there's been believers in this church who have disagreed with one another. Thank God we didn't have any fist fights. 
But the seriousness of the problem is there for all believers. He says, I entreat Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. He calls out two women in the church. I mean, what if this morning when uh, one of our elders, Levi, who came up to read Scripture, also said, hey, I'm calling out you and you in this room. And you start sinking down your chair. Or you're making a beeline for the door because when Paul wrote this letter to the church, it would have been, they would have gathered the church and then they would have read what Paul sent to them. So he's calling out two women, which he speaks very highly of, and says, hey, you need to fix your problem here. And not only you need to fix your problem, but he calls out this uh, 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 other person to help them, a true companion, or your version might say yoke fellow, to help them. But there's a great importance that the body of Christ be united in Christ. That to think the fact that uh, one day we will be around the throne worshiping the Lord God Almighty, falling down on our face before Him, we will be together for eternity, and yet we do find ways to pick at one another, to disagree, to cause strife within uh, the relationships within the body of Christ. And it happens Uh, probably just about in every church in some way, shape, or form. The fact that he brings this up, though, shows us that this is a reality uh, and a struggle among the body of Christ. We don't know what their disagreement is. Uh, We don't know what they are um, having a disagreement over. The fact that it came to Paul while he's in prison in Rome is a big enough issue that it was affecting the body of Christ that he would write it in a letter with um, the direction back to the church. If we do have a disagreement, a struggle, a problem with one another, we do have the Word of God which has given us uh, what we are to do. Uh, Jesus did your homework this week. Go read Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 verses uh, 15 through 20. Jesus teaches uh, us how to deal with sin and division among one another. Um, what Jesus uh, said that if a brother or sister sins against you, he says, here's the process you're to follow. Now, I think, I think at times we think, well, I've got a better way. I'm just not going to say anything. I just forgive them in my heart. Just leave it around. And then, uh, or, or, you know, we'll do this. Or I'm going to go out on the attack. And what Jesus says is if someone sins against you, you personally go to that brother or sister in Christ. And you say to them, in love, you, you, you lay out, you say, hey, and here's Scripture, here's what's happened. Uh, do you acknowledge this, or do you see that you're in sin? And, and, and Jesus says, hopefully they will turn and repent and, and, and ask for forgiveness. But if they are hardened towards you, it says to take two or three other believers with you, uh, they, the witnesses, that, and to go with them, and again, Lay out scripture, call them to repent of sins, and, 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 and if they repent, then wonderful, there's this restoration. But if not, it says a third thing, and this is where churches get Jesus' words wrong. When it says, tell it to the church, most churches just skip that and say, hey, we're kicking this person out. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says you tell it to the church so the whole church, the body of believers, will go to that brother or sister in Christ and say, brother, sister, you've broken these things, that you sinned against this person, here's these things, repent of your sins, turn back and be uh, reconciled. Then Jesus says, if they do not respond, you treat them like a Gentile, as someone who's not a believer. And Jesus has given us that to help in this process when we have disagreements. 
If there's a disagreement that you have, if someone sinned against you in the body of Christ, you need to pray and say, Holy Spirit, direct me and guide me and give me the words and the strength to go to that person and talk with them one-on-one and pray that there would be a reconciliation there. Paul says in verse 3, asking them to reconcile their differences, he asks the true companion, yoke fellow, um, that's not his name most likely, um, but just a title, Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in what? The book of life. Now, two things about this verse here. Um, We find that these women have ministered side by side with Paul. Maybe uh, when you read Acts 16, when he was there in Philippi, there, maybe there were some of the women by the river with Lydia. Uh, whatever the case is, it's a wonderful uh, uh, statement that he makes. He says, they're, they've labored with me. They've worked hard with me side by side uh, in the gospel. Um, and he also mentions Clement and all the other people who have worked with him. Um, and I'll say this as a side note because it's very relevant to our church today and what's happening is verse 3 gets used by itself by um, uh, people who would hold to an egalitarian argument. If you don't know what that means, I I can tell you more about it this uh, next week coming up. But this verse is used to say and to try to prove that women are pastors in the early church here. Now, um, I'm just going to say three things about this. There's three problems with that argument on this scripture alone. Is Number one, there's no specific mention by Paul of their leadership role. He says they're wonderful laborers like all these other people in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That declaration should be made about every single one of you, including myself in the room. That's no, t- no titles or anything. Me, not even as a pastor or an elder in the church, that should be said about my life. It should be said about your life as a follower of Jesus. But number one, there's no specific mention of a title or a leadership role. Number two, there's no clear or explicit teaching uh, in the Bible that directly supports that um, women held pastoral positions in the church. If you want to hear more about that, go to the website, look up the sermons that I preached last year on the book of Titus. And we saw that pastors, elders, shepherds, bishops, that they're all the same position. They're filled by men um, in the body of Christ. But the third problem with those who would use this to argue that women uh, are to be pastors in the church um, is this would directly contradict other scripture. And we know from scripture, God's word has no errors. It has no contradictions. So That's what I'll leave that at is that, and I'll be sending you some stuff here following up. With verse 3, though, these women are laboring, declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're serving as Paul served. They're being obedient to the great commandment to go and make disciples. That should be declared about every one of you, including myself, whether position or not. Just a Christian, that should be a description about you. And it's wonderful that he calls these two women to work on their differences and also encourages them and says, hey, they are laborers in the gospel. So uh, yoke fellow, true companion, peacemaker, help them out. But what is wonderful is look at verse 3. For them and whatever they, however they worked it out, and for all of you, when you say, he says their names, he says, with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. 
These are one of those indicatives. This is one of these truths of Scripture. This is a promise of God for all believers that is a picture of assurance of salvation. And so if you read John chapter 10, and you've heard me preach a number of times that a person who is saved by faith in Christ alone cannot lose their salvation because Jesus does not lose his sheep. No one can steal them out of the Father's hand, not even Satan. And then here is just another uh, assurance of faith that it says their names are written in the book of life. Now, it comes up a number of times in the New Testament one of them is Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, which says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And in that chapter, it talks about Christ's return and the great white throne judgment. Satan and the demons are thrown into hell. It says that it was created for them. And anyone and everyone whose name is not written in the book of life. If you are saved by faith in Christ and you're here this morning, your name has been written in the book of life. There's assurance of salvation and being with Christ for eternity. And therefore, that should bring you lots of joy in the midst of a troubling world. And so he says, agree in the Lord. Look at verses 4 through 5. Our second point here is he says, again, I say rejoice. This is one of those verses that many of you possibly, many believers have memorized. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say what? Rejoice. And I thought, why would the Apostle Paul tell any of us to rejoice in the midst of all the trouble in our world? Again, think about you going and telling another Christian mother uh, who has just given birth to a stillborn child that she needs to rejoice. What about going to a person who has just lost their job that they've had for 20, 30 years of their life and they don't know how they're going to finish out their work or what job they're going to do? What do you do? Hey, rejoice! Yesterday, afternoon or morning um, we were out at the softball field watching some teams play and as a team was uh, leaving uh, one of the girls was walking with I think her mother and another family member and she was so down and at the same time looked so angry and I realized it was because she didn't play at all in the game most likely and she hadn't played in the other game before that. And so, like, what am I supposed to tell her as she's walking by side? Hey, rejoice! Rejoice in the Lord! I mean, think about that. As you, as you come across people that are going through struggles in life, you know, I mean, what do you do with the kid that comes home who just got an F on their test? Well, just rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. What about the, the student who doesn't make the high school team that they try it out for? Oh, it's okay. Just rejoice in the Lord. I mean, you go through the scenarios and all the lists of troubles in this world. Think about telling someone to rejoice in the Lord. If you tell a non-Christian, rejoice in the Lord, it means nothing. They think that you are crazy. They think that you are saying the most ridiculous, stupid thing in the world. You go tell a non-Christian who just, their spouse just died. Hey, rejoice in the Lord. And, and I mean, they'll want to punch you. I mean, you think about this. So the, he's writing again, and I remind you, he's writing to a church. He's writing to Christians. And so he tells the Christian, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice because the truth is the Christian can, even in the midst of whatever problem and trouble they would ever face in their lifetime. 
And again, this is why it's important that you understand the gospel and you understand that the law and the gospel to have a greater understanding when Paul says rejoice and you're like, I don't feel like rejoicing at all that you would have this understanding from scripture. Um, again, because of Jesus Christ, faith in him, the law no longer condemns us and obeying it does not save us God has already established you, if you're a true Christian, in the past by the accomplished work of Jesus Christ at the cross. And therefore, the command for you to rejoice reveals this, that true joy is not dependent on your life circumstances. True joy is not dependent on your life circumstances. Instead, true joy is dependent on your relationship with Jesus. There is a difference between be happy always, and again I say be happy, and a difference between rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, because your happiness is in things of the world. We get happy over things that happen. We get the scoop of ice cream with all the toppings that we like, and we get happy, and we get sad when it's gone. We get happy when something benefits us or whatever, these things here. But here's the truth about happiness and what you see everyone in the world that is not a Christian. And sometimes Christians still struggling with this too. Is the constant need to be happy about something. And so what do we do? This no longer makes me happy anymore. He or she doesn't make me happy anymore. This car or this boat doesn't make me happy anymore. So what we do is we strive to replace it with something else. And all that does is lead for a period of time which is very short and then you're no longer happy and you got to get the new one. It's like the guy who gets the uh, TV that he's been waiting for. They're bringing it and delivering it and across the street he sees the guy over there got the brand new, 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 new TV. And he's like, what? what? And he's not even installed in his house yet. That is how you have been raised in this world. The world wants you to strive after happiness in life and not realize that you can have true joy in Jesus Christ. I think of Paul and Silas when they were arrested. They were beaten. They were thrown in the depths of the prison, shackled, and at midnight, amidst all of their beating and their sores and all this stuff, and they could be put to death, they're singing hymns, praising God at night. I'm sure that they were not happy with their situation. I'm sure that their back being torn open was not a happy thing. But they rejoice because they know that in Jesus Christ their sins are forgiven. They rejoice because Jesus Christ took their place at the cross for them. They rejoice because Jesus Christ who died is alive and he rose again. And they rejoice because Jesus said he's coming back for them. That's the only reason why any believer in their circumstances could ever sing praises of any joy because it's true joy in Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're dealing with in your life, what you have in your past, what you have in present, or what is looming on the horizon that you're fearful of. But know this, the joy that is true and real and everlasting only comes through Jesus Christ and your relationship with him. And if you are saved here this morning, 
You can know because it's scripture and it's a promise that these things are true and you can rejoice in the most troubling time of your life. He says in verse 5, let your reasonableness, or the word there can mean gentleness, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Um, Your responses in um, your everyday life and among the body of Christ um, is, Paul stresses the importance of this, that we would have the right attitude uh, towards one another uh, in all of the life challenges and all the struggles because, remember, there are people on the outside looking in at your life. And they're watching how you are living and acting in this world. And they're just waiting to see you not be gentle. To not be reasonable with these things. So they say, ah, that hypocrite, that person's not really a Christian. And they look for those things. But what he says at the end of verse 5, again, is another encouraging thing for all believers. The Lord is, is at hand. Do you know what that means? The Lord is at hand. He's returning. Jesus is coming back. He said he was, and he says it would be soon. And therefore, he says to be ready, to look up, and be waiting for him. It's a promise for you, believer. The Lord is at hand. Therefore, looking at rejoicing always, and then looking at verses 6 through 7, it begins to balance out here and help us have understanding. The third point is don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. And boy, is that easier said than done, right? Don't worry. Don't trouble yourself. Don't be anxious. I was reading this week, um, 27.3% of Americans have anxiety problems, and that's out of 91,486,941 people in America as of yesterday. Again, I never know how they get those numbers, but you watch the ticker, and it goes up, and then it goes back, and things like that. 6.8 million Americans have generalized anxiety disorder. 6 million have panic disorder. 15 million have social anxiety disorder. 7.7 million have PTSD. And over 55 million have a host of other anxiety issues. And what is our answer in this world? Go see a psychologist and take this medication. Now I'll tell you two things. God, by His grace has gifted wisdom, given wisdom in this world so that medical things are available to us today. But know that the default is to tell the anxious person, just take this medication, you'll be okay. Know that a psychologist does not take the Bible and say, well, let's open up to the Word of God to talk about the issues you're having. That's not what they do. Psychologists want to tell you everything that the world has thought up in their mind of how you should act and live and get through this stuff. There's no regard for the holy words of God who has the answer for everything. So the problem we get to is, again, what do you say with people who are stressed? Stop stressing out. Stop worrying. You need to just be happy. Again, 
When you have people who are having a panic attack and you're trying to tell them they need to just calm down. When you have a believer who's just so fearfully analyzing every single word that you're saying, you're saying, calm down. I mean, you could go through the list of all the things that people worry and struggle and have anxiety about, and you could just say, stop, 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 stop. Don't do this. Don't do that. And again, for the non-Christian, it falls on deaf ears. For the Christian, it can mean so much. As we read here, look at verse 6. The Apostle Paul tells the believers, before psychologists, before the medical things that are out there today, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You go, wow. He's commanding this. He's telling the Christian then and now to do this, to not be anxious about anything. The good thing is that this verse is there because the tendency of mankind is to worry. So this is a common thing. I mean, probably if I asked you, every hand would go up in the room and say, I have worried about something at some point. And if I asked you to raise your hand and say, well, how many of you worry every day? Probably some hands would go up. I mean, we think about the troubles in this world, and as soon as we get our eyes off of Christ, there is the tendency in our mind and hearts to worry and have great anxiety about all the things that, that, that the what-ifs. I mean, we are good at coming up, well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if that, it's like, if that, that's 10 years away. It's like, what are you thinking about that now? What if that happened? You know, what about today? <clears throat> Another place I want you to turn to is Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. Again, we have Jesus' words. <clears throat> As we navigate through these things, I'll just read a few of these verses out of chapter 6. In verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Think about all the birds in this world that God feeds them daily. He says, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? It goes on, why are you worrying about clothing? But look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, there it is again, in light of what Jesus just said, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And again, I'm like, amen. And yet, I struggle at times with worrying. Oh, Lord, what if that happens tomorrow? And I'm still telling the Lord, I'm like, well, Lord, what is this? What if they say that to me when I show up? What if they dare do this? What if they shun me over here? What if this happens? What if the doctor tells me I have a health problem? I mean, all the things that can fill our minds with worrying, and we just spent the last six hours thinking about that, and yet it's like, man, he goes on to say, set your mind on these things. Oh, what if I would have set my mind on these things in the last six hours? What would my life have been like? Would my heart not have been racing as much? Would, my would I have been sweating like crazy? Would all these things be going on if I had set my mind on these things that Christ calls us to set our mind on? 
And again, I'll say it's easier said than done because here's the problem. You and I think we can do the right thing. You and I think that we have the ability to do the right thing that Paul tells the church to do and tells us today. Our problem is we put all of our, uh, we put everything in on ourselves, and when we need to cry out, Holy Spirit, fill me up today. Fill me up this moment. I need you to set my mind on things above because I am struggling right now. And I think sometimes we even, which we should be, but I think sometimes we're even so quick to call someone else and say, oh, I'm just struggling. I'm, oh, this, 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 this. And it's like, um, no, go to the Lord and call the brother and sister in Christ. And I know that some of us are just plagued with anxiety and worry. And it's a hard balance between the reality of what we're experiencing our emotions are real. But the things that we're thinking that are leading those emotions may not be real at all. And that's why we need the truth. So that the truth can get rid of and cause the worrying and anxiety to flee from us. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Earlier, Levi read for us Psalm 34, and it says in verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears, amen, and, and delivers them, amen, out of all their troubles, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. This is why Paul says to pray. We need to pray at all times. We need to uh, uh, give thanks to the Lord. He mentions Thanksgiving here. And so we should always praise the Lord, but sometimes you get hit with that phone call that you never wanted to hear, and you go into the depths of anxiety and worry and trouble, and there's no thanksgiving, and you just call out like Peter when he started to sink in the water, when he looked at the waves and took his eyes off Jesus, and he says, Lord, save me. Like the shortest prayer ever, and Jesus just pulls him up out of the water. Sometimes that's the only thing you think to think of at the morning is, Lord, save me. Save me from my mind and the things of these truths of this world. But he says to pray. It says, and supplication. So it means to petition, to be specific. Are you specific in prayers? I think sometimes we can get into a rote prayer. We pray the same thing every single morning, whatever it is, which is great. We're continually supposed to pray, but maybe there are some things that you need to think about and go, oh, I need to pray about this. And, and, and when you don't know what to pray, Holy Spirit, pray on behalf of me as Scripture says you do because I don't know what to ask for here. Sometimes the best way for you would be to actually write down the things you're praying for because sometimes we forget about that here and this, that, and over here. And those things that you're worrying about, when you are in the depths of grief and, 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 and sadness and struggle and worry and anxiety, grab a piece of paper and just write those things down because you need to pray about those things. You need to ask another brother or sister in Christ to pray for you in those areas, but be specific and, and, and petition the Lord. And it says, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. We need to cultivate a grateful heart. And I know I've told you over the last few years to do this, and I'll just tell you to do it again. You need to grab a piece of paper, you need to grab a journal, and you need to just start writing down 
every single thing that you are grateful to the Lord for. He's forgiven me. Jesus died for me. Jesus is alive. He rose again. According to the scripture here, it says, I'm saved by faith in him. I don't have to do any works. Jesus is coming back, and, and you might write all this down, and then and they're just giving thanks for like, oh, Lord, you, you blessed me with this this week. You helped me pay this bill. You, you did this. You healed me of this sickness. I mean, the list goes on and on. You will run out of paper if you really sit long enough and then come back to the next day or an hour later and just continue to do that because the result will be a grateful heart and you know what happens in all those times as you give thanksgiving to the Lord? You're not thinking about all the stuff you always worry about. All the praise and glory is going to God. And you're not worried about all of that trouble. It says the result is this in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I generally will read this text of verses to people when I visit them in the hospital. Because many of them are so worried about the next uh, blood draw they're having when the nurses come in. The next jab, what the doctor's going to say and all these troubles. And they can't sleep because they're constantly being woken up. And so the worrying just takes over the mind. And it's like, be grateful for the things of the Lord because that replaces that and that real joy that you have in Christ begins to well up that even in the worst position you can be in that the Lord will grant you peace. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Look at verses 8 through 9. The fourth and final point is think about these things. Think about these things. Everything that he's just led up to, he says finally. Now, he sounds a lot like a pastor like myself who gets to their point and says we're going to end and then continues on for a while. Uh, He's not bringing the letter to an end here. And yes, we'll be done in just a minute here. He says finally, after what he's just said of all these truths, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Church, this is the standard for your thinking in everything in life. If you don't know what you should be thinking about, look at verse 8. Put that to memory. As those things come to your mind, then remind yourself, oh, I was just thinking about that. Wait, wow, is that honorable to think about? Is that something that's pure? Oh, is that thought commendable? Is that, is, that, is that even praiseworthy of God? To ask yourself, put those in a question mark. Take every single one of those and lay it out there. Because again, our minds think And then our emotions follow whether our minds were thinking truth or not. And therefore our minds must be filled with the truths of God. Jesus was uh, with the disciples and uh, he tells them, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die on the cross. And Peter takes him aside and says, no way, Jesus. You are not going to do that. And the disciples are watching and Jesus says in Mark 8, 33, But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Your lens and your filter for your mind must be Scripture. 
Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And he sums up in verse 9, it says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So our task as we go from this place is this. To rest in the truths of God, of the gospel of Jesus, that will fill us with joy that is never ending because happiness is fleeting. And as we're called to do these things practically and setting our mind on Christ, the Holy Spirit will do the work and will take you through every moment of life until the day you see Jesus. Isaiah 26, 3-4 says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Father, you are the one who is our rock, our foundation, your son Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit in us, and we have your word and your truths, everything that we need for life and godliness. And Holy Spirit, we pray right now that for every believer in the room, that you would set our mind on things above, that you would cause us this day from now until the day we see you to set our mind on these glorious, wonderful truths of the gospel of Jesus. Would you help us to filter our thoughts that they would go through the lens of your truth and that you would Holy Spirit enable us in the worst troubling moment in our life to trust on you and so we lay ourselves before you and we say Holy Spirit work in us empower us to live and walk in holiness Jesus we praise you and we give you thanks amen